to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. This podcast tackles important pulse topics, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade policy developments, innovative agronomic approaches, transportation for Canadian crops, and a whole lot more. My name is Andrea Lauder, and I'm the communications manager with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Today, it's my pleasure to chat with Marlena Borsch, managing partner with Mercantile Consulting Venture. Statistics Canada recently released their seeded acre intentions estimate. And so Marlena is going to share some of her insights on what Saskatchewan pulse production could look like based on these preliminary seeded acre reports. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Marlena. I'm pleased to be here and very nice to see you, actually. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to see you, too. (laughs) So Stats Canada last week. That was an interesting report. Yeah. So what did you find um, overall pulse acres in Saskatchewan look like for this coming season? Well, there were a couple of surprises in there. And and I think the biggest surprises were around canola and uh, peas. So StatScan said that pea acres would drop by 9.8%. And I think it took most people by surprise because a 10% drop in peas is very, very substantial. And it changes our market position a little bit. Uh, I must say I'm a bit surprised. Peas have moved very well all year. We had tremendous offtake early in the fall, which is always a big bonus for farmers. Um, I mean, the fact that a lot of the pulses were moved early in the year normally is a huge bonus this year. I think some farmers are looking back and, and thinking it would have been better to sell later. But that's an unusual thing. And you can say the same, if not more, about canola, where over 10 million tons were delivered by December and so on. There was no way of predicting the speed and the height of the price increases in all of the commodities. Even so, I think um, we tend to think that probably, you know, peas are down 2 to 3%, but not much more than that because of the good movement. And um, I think that would be beneficial because if we dropped them by 10%, we would have to curtail our exports fairly substantially coming in the spring. So again, you know, a 10% decrease by StatScan is probably a little bit overdone. But even giving a 2 to 3% uh, decrease, you know, will curtail supplies a little bit because the carry-in is, is very, very small this year already. On lentils, uh, they were a little more moderate. Um, they showed a 0.3% reduction. And again, you know, earlier in the year, um, with the splendid prices we have basically seen on, on lentils for most of the year, and we had high prices early on in this commodity, I thought that lentil acres might actually increase a little bit, but I would settle for a known change, you know, as the year went by, because canola, um, <laughs> in fact, is showing uh, unprecedented prices. I had a farmer tell me that uh, that was for Nexera canola, $21 a bushel, is is phenomenal. However, as I said earlier, you know, most of canola also was sold at the lower levels. So we are assuming about an unchanged acreage on, on lentils um, for this year. And that, you know, gives us maybe about a 3% reduction in supply, something around that, as you can read in the article. Uh, maybe another surprise uh, was chickpeas. And of course, that's always a very hard one to judge. Um, there were at 71.3%, I think it was of last year. That's a, a big, big drop on chickpeas. It's a very hard one to read. And the problem with chickpeas is twofold and that people fret about the quality. And we, you know, we're potentially looking at a dry year. So you look at size as well. And as you know, higher sizes pay better than the smaller sizes. So that's probably a stroke against it. So you have a higher risk on quality, both size and quality. 
and we have seen uh, some difficulties um, with handling and cleaning chickpeas and that there are very, very few dedicated cleaners anymore on chickpeas. And I think that's taking a toll too when you have a lot of choices in crops that show you a positive return. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure about the percentage, but a substantial decrease in chickpea acres is, is probably um, not far-fetched. Um, that's a shame, but if you look at the... Um, agriculture and agri-food balance sheets. We have some carryout on chickpeas. And I think chickpea prices um, also will be well rewarded, particularly if you have half-decent quality. Uh, so this might be the year to actually clean out some of our carryout as we go through the year. Um, maybe one more comment um, before we move off the acres, and that is um, total acres as shown by StatScan, all the acres that reported are actually down from last year. And that makes no sense to me. If you are in a year where you have um, record prices, um, uh, promising returns for your acres, um, almost regardless of the crop you choose, you will not have acres lower than the previous year. That's just not done. So there are probably some uh, acres missing in the overall picture that, um, you know, and we should just tuck that back in our minds. I think StatScan has been a bit low on, on various crops last year, including canola, for example. And, uh, you know, maybe a bit of the secret rests in that, that the acres we are showing are actually a bit low overall for this year as well. Of course, now we are starting, once we have seeded, we are starting going to be starting to worry about yields. So that's, you know, going to be the next um, uh, area that we will have to address as we go along the summer. I think this leads really nicely into the next question I wanted to ask you. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the high prices that the commodities have seen this past year, you know, especially, you know, uh, canola prices. Um, do you think that pulse acres are possibly losing out to some of these other crops because of the high prices? Yes. Um, you know, the data shows that we are probably losing some acres to oil seeds. Um, in fact, we tend to think that canola is up more than the 3.6% uh, that uh, Stats Canada was showing um, because of the very substantial increase in price and a lot of efforts by the crushers to secure crop for next year already as well. And partially this is that pulse prices have lagged a little bit to the increases that we have seen in both wheat and um, uh, and the wheat is driven by the feed grains. So feed grains, grains and, and the oil seeds. And also when I look at the uh, sales, the FOB and the SIF prices we're seeing on a commodity like peas, for example, we have been lagging, you know, the speed of increase to the other crops. And that would indicate that we will, could well be losing a few acres um, to some of the other ones. And don't forget, uh, sometimes it's just easier to handle the major grains and dump them into the next elevator. Uh, it's just the ease of movement that's going to play into here. Um, so the stats will, will bear that out. We probably lost a little bit. I think in the long term, um, because of a lot of the environmental factors and so on, we'll get them back. But for now, competition is on for virtually every crop, you know, for acres. So we are not immune to that. Yeah. Again, that was uh, the next question I wanted to ask is, do you think that there's any uh, concern with competition from these other crops that want to increase acres as well? Do you see this being a short term, you know, concern perhaps for this year or are our pulses going to continue to possibly lose out on acres? 
That's a very hard question to ask because I think pulses have a lot of positives going for them, including um, rotational and environmental factors. And I think pulse demand is going to go up. You know, when when we look at uh, long-term demand projections for pulses by various countries, you know, we only see an upward trend. So it, it will be difficult to, in some ways, to keep up with that. But in the short term, the competition has certainly increased by the oil seeds um, and by feed grains. And I think that's more than a one-year trend. And part of that is fueled by changes in the biofuel side as well. You know, we see more support uh, on the oil seeds uh, through biodiesel, and that's affecting canola. Um, And that comes out of Europe and out of the United States now as well, now that um, things have changed in the U.S., And on the feed grain side, it depends a lot on what happens on China. But I think the rapid move away from COVID, the the recovery of their economy, and also the recovery of their swine herd point towards increased feed use, that's supporting corn. Corn supports all the other feed grains. It affects peas in a positive way, again, on the demand side. But that competition is going to stay with us for several years. So... It's good for prices, but we'll have to work hard to keep up because pulses move into different sectors. So it's going to be very, very interesting how that will balance out. Thanks for that really thoughtful um, answer. Uh, I appreciate that. What is demand looking like for peas and lentils in the international market for 2021? Um, Well, we'll start with peas. And um, uh, peas are interesting because they now move in bulk and we now have to look at both the feed markets and the edible markets. And we touched on the feed markets already earlier. China is our break it and gain it market. Year to date, I think we have moved 82% of all our pea exports went into China. That's gigantic. It certainly has been a bonus for us, but it's also a cause of concern. Um, It's very difficult, and we have seen it in India before. Um, We're now seeing it to China. It's very difficult to be beholden, so to speak, to a single market. Um, Now, there's a lot of depth in the Chinese market, but they're also a very fickle buyer. And there's just no way around that. Um, You're always subject to some political decisions, and that you know, leaves me with some nervousness, although I, I think the market depth is, is more than enough, um, you know, to cover us. So that's one concern. And when you look at uh, the destination markets this year, we actually have lost um, some of the edible markets because peas were driven, uh, you know, by the Chinese feed sector, which was very, very strong this year. So should anything happen to China, we'd have some work to do to regain um, some traction there. Uh, Overall, swine demand, again, is increasing, and there's also a big effort um, by China to diversify the sources of feed. Again, that's positive. But this has also led to them trying to diversify the origins of of the various uh, commodities. And there are some big efforts in process by the Black Sea suppliers to get into the Chinese market. So far, we have about 97% of all peas bought by China come from Canada. So our market share is uh, huge. Um, and they're trying to change that. So speculation is, and, and what we hear from the Ukrainian Pulse Association as well, is that they're hoping 
to have permission to ship into China as of September, so as of the new crop, basically. And that could, well, give us a little bit of competition, not huge, but it would give us some competition into the Chinese market as well. And I think in the long run, we have to be prepared that it's being opened up more. So overall, I think uh, P-Demand looks uh, very, very promising. We use, I think it's 3.6 million tons for this year. It's down actually a little bit from what I think we will do this year, but only because our supply will be down a little bit. So uh, your demand outlook is good. Um, It will probably not be without competition and we have to be a little bit wary of China. Um, But given that, it looks very, very good. for the peas. Now the next big commodity is lentils. And um, we touched on that earlier as well. On lentils, India is still very, very important to us. And what happens to the import policies um, in India and the height of the um, tariffs they impose is is terribly important as well. So they're still holding on to their 30% tariff as we speak. but I tend to think that given the food price inflation that we are looking at um, right now, that's developing specifically for India, and that's especially fueled by high vegetable oil prices, which are very important to them, that they will probably <clears throat> look at opening the quarters a little bit, perhaps in June, just prior to the main consumption period, which would be August, uh, September, October. So. I I think we will see that, um, partly because uh, lentils there, domestic lentils from the the harvest are trading um, at or above the minimum support price and have increased in value by about $60 a ton over the last while. So these are all indications that lead me to believe the need to contain food price inflation. And the easiest way to do that is to let some of the outside products in to keep that price stable even lowered a little bit. If we get India with the same or improved demand from last year, then again, you know, we will be doing well on the lentil side, similar to this year. So in my balance sheet, we're using, I think on the export side, something like 2.6 or 2.65 million ton, again, down slightly from this year because of supply. Um, And that we will have to adjust when we see yields develop over the summer. But, um, and that should keep our ending stocks uh, fairly contained, you know, about six to eight percent stock use ratio, which is relatively tight. So I don't think we have a major problem on the demand side. We'll have to be monitored as we go through our yield estimates. Um, but what is helping, obviously, this year is that we have had um, low carry in. So, you know, that is a change from two and three years ago, and we had to contend with seven, eight hundred thousand ton carry ins. So, you know, things have changed very, very substantially on that side. And what about some of the other pulses like chickpeas or faba beans or dry beans? Are we seeing any sort of similar demand in the international market? Um, starting with chickpeas, there is actually um, the supply of the large caliber chickpeas is fairly tight and the Mexican uh, crop, uh, you know, has not been as, as good as expected. So I, I think we'll see some very good demand for that. Um, the smaller ones we had uh, on the desert type chickpeas, we had um, an excellent, excellent crop in Australia in the last year. Um, so they're not as undersupplied, but I think um Depending on what's happening in in the Indian subcontinent, I should say, I, I think those prices will uh, align themselves with some of the other commodities as well. Um, but again, you know, the small chickpeas are not as undersupplied as the large chickpeas. 
fava beans. Um, certainly, uh, Australia plays a role here as well. They do a lot of the exports uh, into Egypt, one of the biggest buyers. Uh, and we have seen um, decent crops uh, in Europe uh, last year, a little bit drought curtailed. This year, they look better. They have better moisture situation there. So it's always hard for us in the export market, actually, to compete with those. But we have seen increasing feed use. And uh, the ones that are grown for the feed use here, I see very good possibilities. And the prices will align themselves with feed grains in general. So very long term, I think fava beans for feed are probably an easier use for us on easy application. And I only see that acreage grow as long as we stay competitive in, in terms of prices. Edible beans are very hot because um, you have many different types of beans that have a different price constellation. So I'm not sure if I can really comment on that other than to say that uh, dry beans as well have seen very good demand. And particularly in the first wave of COVID, we saw huge increases in demand for edible beans. I'm not quite sure if that's uh, it's not the same extent of increases now with the second and third wave, um, but demand has stayed very, very good. Um, so as I said, I'm not sure if I can comment on the various types of beans, but overall um, also not an oversupplied situation here as well. Okay, thank you for that. Um, do you have any sense for how Canadian production is tying into overall world production for pulses? Um, yeah, on peace, we do have some ideas. Our, our share in world production ranges somewhere between 28 and 36%. So it's um, really quite substantial. Um, it varies a lot because it depends on the size of the Black Sea crop. Now, don't forget, when we have a lot of competition for acres by all seeds and um, grains, they have the same thing because the prices are similar. In fact, the wheat prices they saw earlier in the year into until they started talking about um, interfering with the wheat markets themselves. But into January, February, um, they had seen relatively better wheat prices than we have even, um, which meant that competition for acres by that and by things like sunflower, sunflower is the biggest oilseed crop and um, rapeseed in the Ukraine especially has been very, very good as well. So, uh, um, I think uh, their production will be a little bit curtailed as well. Um, the moisture situation, however, is better than last year. Um, so I would say that the crop will probably be a little bit lower uh, because of the acres. So that should keep our position in production somewhere between 33 to 36%, very, very substantial, which means that if we see a lot of crop development problems here because of dryness, that also, you know, will affect the price and the world price. On lentils, it's even worse or better, depending from which side you look at it. But um, I think last year we had about 48% of production, very, very high. So what happens here matters a great deal. So when we start getting concerned about the moisture levels and how many acres we have seeded here, that will matter to the market. Um, and it will matter what's available for the export side. Um, again, you know, Australia last year uh, had a, a, a much better crop, which helped uh, with some of the exports into the Middle East and so on. We have seen our share into a country like Egypt, for example, drop back a little bit. They have, you know, made gains into Pakistan against ours. 
Um, but it remains to be seen, you know, what the next crop will pan out to be. Again, you know, I think our position specifically on lentils and peas is very, very important. It's not so important on chickpeas or fava beans where we have um, play a much, much smaller role and will be a price follower. It's those two where we are price leader and where what happens here will take a major influence. Thank you for that. Uh, do you have any thoughts or advice on some potential marketing strategies for Pulse growers and the crops that they're growing this season? Um, yeah, well, it's a different situation than we have seen in other years. The one that is a, is a very simple one is do not carry old crop into new crop because there's um, still a difference in the levels between the two. So, And also you have to think of the fact that carrying old crop into new crops prevents you from storing your new crop. And then normally I say, if you see some returns generated by certain prices, you know, we would be um, selling new crop to secure those values and to make sure you can at least cover your variable costs and so on and speculate with the rest. We are only about 15% sold of new crop piece of lentils. And for the last while we have said, well, you know, given what happened to the other prices, uh, new crop prices, uh, and we are still quite a bit behind old crop prices. You know, we tend to think on a lot of commodities, new crop prices are the cheap relative to the old crop prices. And what needs to come out is the new crop side. Um, so we sold a little bit uh, just uh, to get into the delivery scheme in the fall and generate a little bit of cash. Um, and so this year, you have to be very vigilant as to what happens in other markets. When things start to fall off, you might want to secure some of the prices um, because pulse prices for new crop are not bad, especially on the lentil side. As I said, on peas, I tend to think we're a little bit underpriced right now, even on new crop and would wait. And the piece of advice I would like to send along is that do not forget to price along the way because um, they're very, very good unless you see there's some really major problems on the production side. Um, at some point in time, we'll have to readjust some of the prices that we are talking about right now. Um, they're not sustainable long run. So um, it's going to be a little bit different. I would say that as it stands, as the price level stand right now, make sure you have storage available so you can wait a little bit later. Not with your entire crop, but with some of it. That's very wise advice. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I think that's all the time I had questions uh, for today for you, unless you had anything else that you wanted to add. Well, the most important thing right now is to get the crop in and get it growing. So yeah. luck, good luck with that. That's true. Thank you. Um, we really appreciate you sharing your market analysis and expertise with us today, Marlena. For people who are interested in more detailed information on the Pulse Markets and some of Marlena's insight, you can read the latest Pulse Market Outlook under Market Reports, which is found under our SPG website on the Resources tab at saskpulse.com. If people are interested, please continue to tune in to Pulse of the Prairies podcast episodes. We're going to have an episode where we all chat about the market for Pulse Protein, who's processing it, and where there are opportunities for growth and where Saskatchewan growers can help meet that demand. Look for that next episode coming in a few weeks. And thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Pulse of the Prairies podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.